Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Peace is a great time. And, uh, you know, maybe you're here today and, and maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've decided just to come because Easter. Maybe, um, you know, some people just come to church when it's Christmas time or Easter time or because they know it's what people do or whatever way you found your way here today, whether you've been coming here for 30 or 40 years or whether it's your first Sunday, it's great to have you here today. And I just want to talk about a word today and uh, that word is empty and uh, that word is a word that uh, around Easter time in the Bible, it's a word that was is, is like very relevant as to what was happening. And so when I say to you, you know, the word empty, I just want you to put up your hand. If, if you think empty is a negative word, throw your hand up if you think it's negative. Who thinks negative is, uh, empty is a positive word? Oh, my goodness. Who has no idea? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Majority have no idea. So... When we think about empty, let me think, let me put this to you then. We often associate, I guess, empty in a negative way. Um, when the fuel tank in your car is empty, are you rejoicing at that? When your bank account is nearly empty, yes. When your stomach is empty. That, oh, that, that doesn't mean you start thinking about food. When the fridge is empty. My son would go crazy if the fridge was empty. When the shelves are empty, you go to the supermarket to get something and there's no bread or milk because someone said there was going to be a flood and it never happened and everyone went and bought all the bread and the milk. When the dam is nearly empty. And, our water, and there's water restrictions and all these things. So when we, we talk about those things and when we think in that context, empty isn't a good word. Empty is like, oh, this is empty. That's empty. Some people would say, my life feels empty. My soul feels empty. And I've got two chocolate eggs here. Now, one, one is hollow on the inside. one this one isn't empty it's got chocolate on the outside and chocolate on the inside now if I was to ask you which egg you like if you had a choice of what egg you would like which one would you choose you choose the empty one Luke you don't want the you don't want that that's who who doesn't want who's actually who says I don't want any chocolate because I know it's bad for me probably not enough of you not good to eat a lot of chocolate, but it does taste good. So if I was to give these away and I, and I simply had a choice, you want the empty one or you want the full one? Who wants the empty one? <laughs> well, come up and get it. Who wants the empty one? Just come up and get it. There's an empty egg here. Yeah, you can. Yeah, so it's like... It wasn't a trick question. Who wants the full one? You're already on your feet. You're, you're like, 
I didn't have to ask twice. I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to mention who's ready, who wants that. She was up walking like this. Make sure you share that. There's no more. They're on sale 50% off down at Woolworths after church, so they've got, that's the best time to buy them. Go for it. Um, if you look at those two eggs, maybe you can relate to those two eggs. Maybe there's people here today and you're feeling really full. Maybe you're feeling overflowing, feeling like your life is full, that uh, things are, maybe things are going well or overall your life is full. But maybe you're also here today and you're feeling like your life is empty. And uh, I would say that there's a lot of people in our world or just even look at our own city here in Harvey Bay that uh, are feeling empty. It's not hard to find someone that... Uh, is their life is feeling empty. And if they were to talk to you, they, you know, in certain circumstances or things that may be going on in their lives, that their life, their soul, feels empty. People that can't find permanent accommodation that are living in their cars in our city. And uh, they're not hard to find if you, if you go looking along the Esplanade at night. Families, not just single people, but families who are working and have jobs but nowhere to live. And in some part of their life, they're like, they're feeling empty, like we can't even get a house, I can't get a permanent accommodation. Mums and dads that can't provide for their family in some way, they feel like empty. Why can't I do this? Why, why, why can't I get this together? Why can't I fix this? Why can't I provide for my family? Young people doing crime on our streets that has escalated um, whether you realise or not, escalated 100, 200% in the last 12 months. There's, there's teenagers on our streets that are stealing cars and breaking into cars and, and breaking into houses. And, and, and I'm just talking about Harvey Bay, that it's escalated. I've never seen before. And I've talked to a few people about this. And, and you know, many of these young people are out on the streets at night. And I'm talking about 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds and younger they're on the streets at night. They're on the street at night because being on the street at night is better than being at home. So let that sink in for a moment. The reason why they're out there is because it feels safer to be on the street than it does at home. Because their house feels empty, their home feels empty, their Whatever's happening at home doesn't feel safe and they find themselves out there hanging out with some other mates that are in the same situation. All of a sudden they get bored and they think, oh, what can we do? And they run into someone else who's had a bit of experience with crime or whatever and all of a sudden one thing leads to another and they're breaking into something or stealing something because they're hungry, because they want to do this, they want to do that. They get bored, which things they shouldn't be doing, but there's reasons why they found themselves in that place, which is a sad situation to have and it's happening in our city because they feel empty people have lost their identity and some people aren't sure who they really are what their what their purpose really is who what they're here for why are they what's they're living their life and they're going what what's what's my future look like I don't know and they're feeling empty people that are empty of hope empty of love Empty of peace, empty of faith, empty of trust, empty of good news because the media is throwing so much 
negative news and social media is so much negative news that it's sometimes hard to find any good news. You'll find good news in this place, but it's easy to find plenty of negative news. And if you just listen to that all the time, it can weigh you down. And you sort of think, well, if that's a reality and that's all you're listening to, then, then it's easy to sort of look at the world in a negative way. There's no hope. There's no this. There's no that. And so people are walking around empty. And it wouldn't be too hard for you. And I'm sure I could nearly talk to every person in this place. You could know someone that's struggling or know someone that's maybe feeling empty or maybe feeling this way. They, and then maybe you're here today. And you're feeling like that. Maybe you're feeling empty. Sometimes we, we can come to church or come to a place and, and on the outside everything looks okay. But on the inside there's chaos. And there's brokenness. Or there's anxiety and depression. Or there's worry. Or there's thinking, what, what does the future hold? How, how can I get out of this? How can this change? And, and maybe you're sitting here today because you're hoping that something here today, that maybe Jesus can intervene in my life and change something because you don't want to be empty anymore. No one, no one wants to stay empty. No one wants to live a life of emptiness. No one wants to go, oh, this is so good. I feel so empty. You know, life's, I just can't wait to wake up tomorrow morning and feel the same way, so empty. You know, and, and no one wants to live like that. They want to live a full life, but there's people living with emptiness. And so then they try and fill their lives with things that aren't always good, things that try and remove the emptiness and people find them getting caught up in addictions and different things and, you know, whether it's drugs, alcohol or other things or whether they're out in the streets late at night and they decide, oh, well, I need something to do. So they start breaking into houses or stealing cars or doing it just to get a rush because the, they can't handle this emptiness anymore and it's weighing on them and so they want something to fill it, something to take their mind off it. Or sometimes people do too much of one thing they might that working is not a bad thing but people can just make their whole world about working they work long hours and their whole time is taken up with long hours and in the end that can be a negative thing and take up all their time and so it can still leave you empty even though your life is busy doing a whole lot of stuff and I say all this to point to Easter time in the Bible, because all the disciples and the followers of Jesus, after Jesus died on the cross, were feeling the same way. They're all feeling empty. They're all like, what just happened? How could Jesus die? I don't understand. This, this shouldn't have happened. Friday, Jesus was crucified his body was taken from the cross and put into a brand new empty tomb. And so when his body's removed and the disciples, the crosses would have been still there and they would have looked up and seen an empty cross. And every time they looked at an empty cross, it reminded them that Jesus was dead and he was in a tomb. And then they wandered around Saturday and, and then they would have... And they, basically went and locked themselves together in a place, in a room, and, the, and it says in the Bible that, that they, were, they were behind locked doors. Do you know why they were behind locked doors? Because they thought if they can do that to Jesus, maybe they're going to do it to us. They were scared that the Romans were coming after them. We're, we're next. They're going to crucify us because we're his followers. And so they didn't know what to think, and so they're feeling empty they're feeling a bit scared they're feeling uncertain and they're saying thinking you know why how could this happen 
I thought Jesus was going to, I thought he was victorious. He was, all these, we need, he needs to be here. More people are still sick. More people need to be healed. You know, we're still under Roman occupation. I thought he was going to overthrow the government and, and set us free, but we're still not free. And in fact, the Romans, they, they crucified him. And so how can this be good? And so all these things are going through their mind. They're feeling empty. What about Peter? The last time Peter saw Jesus was when Jesus turned and looked at him after the rooster crowed and he just denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Three people challenged him. Oh, you were with him. You, you, you hung out with Jesus. You're, you're from Galilee. He goes, no, no, not me. I never know him. And three times it happens. And then Jesus turns, the Bible says, and looks at Peter. And Peter instantly hears that rooster crow and he just started to weep and he ran away. Never a chance to say sorry. Never a chance to have a conversation with Jesus. And next thing, Jesus is on a cross being crucified and died. Imagine how Peter's feeling. Shamed. If I could just have one conversation with Jesus, say I'm sorry because I didn't mean what I said. And so we've got Peter and we've got all these disciples thinking, you know, he, Jesus said all these things. He said he was going to die, but we still don't understand it properly. We don't. And he said, you know, he's going to come back to life, but it doesn't look like. And like all these questions, they just didn't have it all, in, all together. They didn't understand everything that was going on. God knew exactly what he was doing. And so we see this whole situation. So the disciples are walking around feeling empty. But then Sunday comes. Sunday morning dawns. I'm going to read to you, a couple, there's all four accounts in the gospel give an account of what happened at the resurrection. And all of them give different information. They're not all exactly the same. And so some of them give you some extra information. I'm going to read just a couple of accounts here. And I'd encourage you to read, go to all four accounts and read about some of the amazing things that happened. There were several angels that showed up. There wasn't just one. And there was incredible things that happened at that time. And so it says in Mark 16, 1 to 8, it says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, which was on a Saturday then, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. They did that to preserve the body, right? To, so it didn't smell or whatever and lasted longer in that tomb. And so very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb and on the way uh, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. If you read the account in Matthew, it says that when they arrived, two angels removed the stone, rolled it away. It wasn't a little stone. It's the entrance to like a cave with a stone that rolled in a groove on the ground. A massive big stone, massive big and hard to move needed many people to move it and this angel just removes it out of the way and when they entered the tomb they saw a young man clothed in white and a white robe sitting on the right side the woman was shocked but the angel said don't be alarmed you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he isn't here he's risen from the dead look this is where they laid his body now go and tell his disciples including Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. 
You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. And the woman fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And so they're like going, so you think they go, oh, he's he's alive, but they're like, there's an angel, looked like a man, dazzling white, going, and if you saw an angel, don't tell me, they're like, oh, hey, mate, how you going? It's like... You'd be like, whoa, and you'd be like, who are you? It's a ghost, whatever it is. It's like, I saw this show on TV. And then like, you'd take off and run away. Or you'd just be so scared that you'd just stop in fear going, am I, is this real? Has someone set up a monitor with like a hallucination little thing coming up or whatever? Like, is someone playing a trick on me? Like, but it's real. And so they're having this, they're like going, they're freaking out. They're like, the stone's been rolled away. Has someone stolen his body? Someone taken his body? They're saying he's risen from the dead. Is the angel hiding Jesus somewhere? You know, what's, what's going on? And so they were so scared, frightened, that they didn't talk to anyone. They went straight back to tell the disciples. Then we read in Luke, John 20, 1 to 16. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter. Now, my guess is that the last verse I read was the account of that same account right there. But then John doesn't give you all the details of what just happened. That's why you read all four and it gives you all the details. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved, she said, They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Peter needed more training and reached the tomb first. He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Don't you love Jesus? He comes back to life, makes his bed, that's what it says, folds up the cloth, puts it to the side, makes sure it's all laid out. Okay, it's time to go. And he just walks on out. Well, you tell me if it happens another way, but that's what I read. He folded up, laying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. That's what I was saying before. They didn't understand what was going on. And it says, until then, he said that when the other disciples, which I think was John, walked in, he suddenly believed. Suddenly, suddenly something just triggered. And he was aware that this is real. This is what Jesus was talking about. Until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures and that they believed. Then, then they went home. I oh, know, it's all right. You got that? Then they went home. They just left. They're like, he's gone. I don't know where he's gone. And they went home. Obviously, back to talk to the other disciples. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels. Now, obviously, all the angels were showing themselves to Mary. They were just there, didn't see any angels, but the angels, for whatever reason, Mary was seeing all these angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. 
because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said. I don't know what he was wearing, but thought he was the gardener. If you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And then Jesus simply says this, Mary, Jesus said. He just simply said her name. And as soon as he said her name, she turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which, me, which is Hebrew for teacher. The moment Jesus said her name, she recognized it was him. There's something about Jesus that when he calls you by name, he identifies who you are. There's something powerful. And, he, and I want to tell you this morning that he knows everyone here by name. That he calls empty people by name. He calls broken people by name. Calls homeless people by name. Calls the worst of sinners. The most violent criminals, he'll still call them by name. So I noticed three things in those couple of scriptures I read. Three prominent things. Many things happen, but the first thing is the tomb was empty and Jesus is risen. That's an important fact. It's probably quite common, but it's like Jesus wasn't there. He was risen. That's the first thing. The second thing, that when the angel, in the first scripture, when the angel tells Mary, go tell the disciples, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. In other words, Jesus cared about Peter and he knew how Peter was feeling. The angel says, go, go tell the disciples and Peter. The angel is conveying the message of what Jesus wanted to happen. He mentions him by name again, like Mary. Go tell Peter. Later on, you can read he has a conversation with Peter about that. And the third thing is that Mary didn't recognize Jesus until he said her name and that he knows your name, like I said before. He knows who you are. So here's the thing about the word empty. We associate the word empty with so many negative things. So many, my life's empty, this is empty, the bank account's empty, fuel's empty, that's empty, that's empty. They, the, they would have looked at the cross, was empty, reminded them that Jesus was dead. All these things were happening, but suddenly the tomb is empty. And suddenly empty isn't negative, suddenly ne- empty is flipped on its head by Jesus and, neg- and empty is a good thing. Suddenly every, empty is positive because Jesus isn't dead anymore, he's now alive and the tomb is empty. And so we can look at empty in a negative way, but what about, but Jesus comes along to our lives and he flips empty on its head. He changes the things that are empty in our lives and flips them around from a negative to a positive. He turns empty around. Suddenly empty isn't negative. Suddenly empty is good news. Suddenly they're running away from the tomb to tell the other disciples the tomb is empty and everyone's going, yes, they're cheering. 
If you said, oh, the cross is empty, they would have been like, I know, and he's in the grave. But now the grave is empty and they're cheering because Jesus isn't there anymore. Jesus must be alive. What he said was going to happen has happened. And that's what what Jesus does in our lives. He changes empty and flips it around to something brand new. He fills our lives and replaces the empty. What was dead is now alive. What was death is now life. What the grave held death, but now it holds life because Jesus overcame death. He took the keys of hell and death. He beat up the devil, took authority over the enemy, and he now has the keys of hell and death. And he defeated death so we could have eternal life with him. What was meant to kill him and why he was meant to stay in the grave is suddenly death could not hold him down, but now he is alive. So death becomes life. And Jesus can take the dead things in your life, in my life, and make them alive again. He takes the dead things in your life and makes them alive. He makes them brand new. He can remove the damaging and sinful things in our lives and replace them with his ways, his standards, his characters, his character when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So he takes what was meant to kill you, what was meant to destroy you, he can turn that around and use it and make it something incredibly good. Your brokenness he can turn and make it good. Your past life, your story that was broken, your story that was a mess, he can use that as a turn that around and save you and make it a testimony to lead others. If he can save me from this, he can save you from that. He takes your story and your brokenness and everything that was a mess and turns it around and makes it brand new. What was empty, he fills. So when he flips empty on its head, an empty tomb means you can be now empty of hopelessness. You can be empty of sin. You can be empty of shame. You can be empty of guilt. You can be empty of strife. You can be empty of fear. You can be empty of addiction, empty of hate, empty of lies, empty of pain, empty of sadness, empty of self, empty of condemnation, empty of blame, empty of anxiety, empty of depression, empty of torment, and empty of every lie that Satan has tried to convince you was the truth. Jesus turns empty around. An empty tomb is good news. An empty tomb means there's victory. An empty tomb means that Jesus is alive, and we have eternal life, and now the devil is left empty. All his authority, limited power, limited authority, limited time. He now thought he'd won. He was dancing when Jesus was on the cross and dying. He thought when he was in the grave, he thought, yes, I've won. But then Jesus flipped it. Stood on his head. Took the keys of death and hell. And said, you have no authority anymore. You have limited authority. You've only got a time. I'm going to allow you to do what you're doing at the moment in this world. But there's a limit. There's a time limit. There's coming a day where I'm going to cast you in the pit of hell. And you're not going to come out of that place. You're going to burn forever. 
And he says, I have all authority over you, all power over you. And you can't touch the ones that I love, that belong to me. Do you know that when Jesus is part of your life, that he will protect you? He'll put a hedge of protection around you, put his guardian angels around you. And, but the key is that you need to stay under his covering. Under his, but if you wander away, away from Jesus, I'll do my own thing. It's like you step out of his protection. But when you're close to him, it's like the devil tries to take a step into your life and he like just steps out and puts out his hand and says, you can't touch. This person is mine. I redeem them with my blood. Remember. Remember my blood that was shed for them. Remember the empty tomb, devil, where I stripped you of all your power. You're now empty and they are now full. And so we have, so Resurrection Sunday is a day of victory. It's a day where you can go, I have victory. I'm on, this, I'm on Jesus' side. I'm with him. He's won the victory, so the victory is also mine. It says in Psalm 30, 11 and 12, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. And in John 1, 16 to 18, And now out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Moses gave us a law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. It's talking about Jesus and his father. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is is in other words when you see jesus and his character when you see jesus you see the father you see who god really is when you see how jesus loved people cared for people what he did for people died on the cross you see the father i'm going to finish today by showing you a uh, a video clip and it's uh of some of you may have seen it before and uh it's of the skit guys and it's about it's about peter and it's about grace. And it's about that one thing I highlighted, that when his name was mentioned, when the angel said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. And it brings it back. And I just want you to just, as we watch this, think about your life. Where are you with Jesus today? Are you empty? Do you want to be full? Do you want Jesus? Because there's grace for you. Can we just watch that video as we finish today? Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter. Yeah. 
Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.